You're listening to Socialist News and Views with your host, Nick Schillingford. Welcome to Socialist News and Views coming to you from the Urban Cabin Studios in South Minneapolis. I'm Nick Schillingford. And I'm Laura Lomax. In the second part of our show, we will hear from three listeners with perspectives on China and how it relates to the rest of the world and workers inside China. But first, we start with the news. December 19th, Mel Reeves has an article entitled Potter Trial. Girlfriend testifies that Wright was not in control of Carr when it crashed. The article says that, quote, the defense seemed to be suggesting to the jury that Wright had control of the car after he was shot, end quote. But Reeves says, according to Wright's girlfriend, who was a passenger in the vehicle, quote, Wright was not driving when the car crashed head-on into an elderly couple's car after he was shot by Potter, but that his foot was on the accelerator, end quote. It seemed, according to the article, that the defense attempted to, quote, slip in that Wright was driving the vehicle. The article also talks about arriving officer Salvosa, who held Wright and his passenger, at gunpoint on arrival for several minutes, stating, quote, there was some confusion in Officer Salvosa's testimony as he first said he could not see anyone in the car and thus kept his gun drawn. But later, he said he saw the driver moving back and forth, end quote. Dina Winter writes in Minnesota Reformer in a December 10th article entitled Kimberly Potter's former supervisor says it was legal for her to fire a gun at Dante Wright, quote, during cross-examination, Johnson said he could have been dragged, injured, or killed had the car taken off with him still halfway inside it. He also said, by state law, officers are allowed to use their firearms to stop fleeing suspects to avoid great bodily harm, end quote. But under prosecution questioning, he stated that he wasn't dragged as he wasn't in the car when it took off and that Wright was unable to drive the car until after he was hit with Kim Potter's bullet. An article on December 6th in Sahan Journal by Tiffany Bui has a long title that says a lot. The title is the University of Minnesota Morris, to search for lost burial sites. It may be even harder to recover generations of missing indigenous culture and family history. This comes with a subheading. Archival research suggests as many as seven students from the Morris Industrial School for Indians could be buried on campus. Today, Native American students attend the university for free, but there's a cost to reckoning with the site's troubled history. The article says as many as seven Native American students may be buried on the grounds of that university. The article goes on to describe the history of the school, which was plagued by many things, including racism, poor funding from the federal government, disease outbreaks, and at times, subpar food. You can read more on sahanjournal.com. Gabriel Black writes for World Socialist website on December 11th of the surge in consumer prices in an article entitled U.S. Consumer Prices Rise 6.8% Near 40-Year High. 
Black outlines a number of specific increases, including 58.1% for gasoline, beef up 21%, 25.1% for gas to heat the home, and 31.4% rise for buying a used car. The article says, quote, these price increases have made a substantial dent into the well-being of tens of millions of people. Any worker on a fixed income, one that does not increase each year, has effectively received a 7% cut to their income over the past 12 months, end quote. The article says the ruling class finds itself in a no-win situation because if they don't provide endless money to the financial markets, it could cause a significant destabilization of the stock market and economy. And if it continues with the policy, the article says, quote, it will drive the working class deeper into poverty, threatening an eruption of class struggle that will directly threaten their rule, end quote. You can read more online at wsws.org. This of course, comes on the heels of multiple articles outlining how price gouging by capitalists trying to increase profits and not other sources such as supply chain issues or Fed policy is primarily to blame for recent price spikes. Molly Toth writes for Jacobin on December 8th an article titled, The Mainstream Abortion Rights Movement Needs a Complete Rethinking of Strategy. The subheading is, Abortion rights in the United States are in greater danger than at any time since Roe v. Wade and the abortion rights movement's national leadership has proven incapable of mounting the kind of strategy needed to protect it. That needs to change. The organization focused on most in the article is Planned Parenthood, which is the largest abortion provider in the U.S. The article says that as Roe v. Wade has come under attack, Planned Parenthood, instead of doubling down on the right to choose and a woman's right to abortion on demand, has instead sought to, quote, change the conversation and have a more, quote, nuanced conversation. The organization claimed previously that the conversation had become too, quote, divisive and that current labels did not accurately capture how people felt about abortion. And while the Democrats and Planned Parenthood have been tempering their message, the right wing has been going after Roe v. Wade since the case happened in 1973, quote, and now they have the court, says the article. Navigating the world we find ourselves in now, it says, will, quote, demand a different way of thinking and an expansion of our political imagination. End quote. The article says it also isn't clear if the current abortion rights movements are up to the challenge. More comes out on January 6th coup as well. The article entitled January 6th Committee Releases Documents Detailing Trump's Plot to Overthrow Election by Declaring Bogus National Emergency appears on World Socialist website and is written by Jacob Cross on December 11th. The article outlines new information that has been obtained by the House Select Committee investigating the coup. It says... What has come to light is, quote, an explosive slideshow presentation turned over to the committee by former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows. The slideshow revealed Trump's and his co-conspirators' systematic plan for overturning democratic forms of rule in the United States, end quote. This is in addition to multiple recent articles from many sources outlining Kanye West's publicist role in threatening and intimidating one 62-year-old Georgia election worker in an attempt to get her to falsely claim she had engaged in vote tampering. Sanders Ocasio-Cortez celebrates Starbucks workers' historic union victory is the title of Sharon Zhang's article in Truth Out on December 10th. In the article, Zhang writes, Progressive lawmakers are celebrating after Starbucks workers in Buffalo triumphed over nearly insurmountable odds to form the company's first-ever union on Thursday. It says this is a sign of strengthening in the resurgence of the U.S. labor movement. The article also quotes Bernie Sanders as saying, quote, The company should stop pouring money into the fight against the union and negotiate a fair contract now, end quote. According to the article, the Congressional Progressive Caucus, 
also gave a shout out to the win and highlighted the PRO Act as a way to, quote, make it easier for workers to unionize amid a time of decreasing union membership. Also, British courts have ruled that Julian Assange can be extradited to the United States. You can read more on that at Truth Out, World Socialist website, and on Counterpunch, which calls this, quote, a judicial kidnapping of Julian Assange. And now we go to a music break before we come back with three listeners' perspectives on China. This is Out for Just Us by 5.0 from the Pump Your Fist Hip Hop, inspired by the Black Panthers compilation album from 1995. And now... 5-0 with Out for Just Us. We stand on the east stand on the don't violate if you know that you can take care of your own. Right. That's what it's all about. All right. we, we gotta protect them. We gotta be men and show the way for the youth. But action speaks louder than words. Got my hand on my steel. Cause the shit is real. There's a pistol grip. Pump for my lap and it's like that. What you wanna do? Sit. Wait before it's too late. Fuck a boycott. This is how I demonstrate. Niggas and cops don't mix. Night six. How many licks? Black law, black daughter, black cops for black people. Then we'll be equal. Now we go to hear from our listeners with three perspectives on China in answer to the question, 
Overall, does China play a positive or negative role in the lives of working people in China and around the world? The first audio I hear is from a student currently studying at university in China. I've made a number of edits to make the audio clearer, but there remain a couple of slight glitches in the first audio response. Here's the responses. My name is Ding Xiangcheng. I study University Yunnan Province, China, and I major in Marxism Serious Studies, and I love reading, translation, and singing. My favorite writer is Min Jin Liu, whose famous novel Pai Chunko is famous all over the world. I would like to share my opinions with others. Firstly, China's foreign policy is a continuation of chi traditional Chinese culture, and in traditional Chinese culture, Chinese people love peace and they seek to build a harmonious links with other people from other countries and areas. And China's foreign policies is respecting socialist principles because socialism demands that a country must not invade other countries. Thirdly, China's foreign policies is a necessary and correct response to the changes in the world because more and more countries seek multilateral cooperation and more and more countries don't want to be controlled by the West and they want to abandon imperialism. I want to say that Chinese foreign policies combine traditional Chinese culture with socialist principles and other cultures. Thanks for listening. Hi everyone, my name is Raul Duke. And among many other things, I lived in China for 15 years and I traveled all up and down that wonderful, big, beautiful country and I got to know um, the culture and the food and the people and it was very, at least in my eyes, a very um, wonderful experience. Uh, now the question is, um, how is China... Um, is, is China making the world a better place for their workers and, and for the world? And for what I saw there is their standards of living have greatly improved from, from over the last few decades. And in fact, every, every year, uh, the cities that I lived in, they would tear down buildings and build new buildings or, you know what I mean? So, and I think the, the, what I understood is, they have a lot of people in China and the government has to keep these people working. So the cup and China's a big country and so many people. So they have to keep renovating buildings and blocks and doing public works to maintain the buildings and stuff like that. Um, so to my understanding is over the last two decades, the, the average worker's salary has gone up fourfold, which is more than we can say for ourselves here in America. Um, but I do want to say that when I went to China for the first time, I was terrified, uh, because I was so, 
I guess for lack of a better word, so propagandized by the idea that it was it was going to be an unsafe place. And uh, I quickly found out, and then I kept finding out, that it's a very safe place uh, for foreigners to go to and live and work. The Chinese are very respectful, wonderful people. So uh, in, in the regard to like, is China doing good by its own people? I think by and large, yes. But there's a lot of factors to discuss and take apart there. Uh, and it's not like, it's not utopia either. There, there are problems, there are issues, there's corruption, there's, there's many things going on here. Um, and as far as for the rest of the world, um, I would say that, yes, I think that China can be a force for some transformative change because they're with their Belt and Road Initiative or their One, One Road Initiative, they're, they're loaning money to other countries to develop their infrastructure. And I mean, I, I see that as a positive. There's also a lot to discuss and unpack there, but at least they're not running around bombing other countries. That's a, that's a plus in my opinion. They're, they're building ports and they're building roads and highways and saying basically, Hey, we're going to help you do commerce better and you're going to help us do commerce better. And so win-win situation. At least that's the plan. And finally, I would say that like China's never had, uh, or never had it, it doesn't really, it seems to be sticking to this policy of, Hey, let us just do our thing. And we don't want to really tell other countries what to do. Don't tell us what to do. But again, complex subject that needs a lot of unpacking and finessing. And there are better people than me. I'm just, I've just had the lived anecdotal experience of, of living there. Uh, but overall, my 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 15 years there was very positive. There are there are negatives there, um, and there are many issues that China still needs to work on itself. Uh, but overall, I, I think it's doing a, a pretty good job. My name is uh, Kira Knutson. I'm local president of Communications Workers Local 7250, based out of Minneapolis, Minnesota. And uh, I'm a anarchist revolutionary, and I've been invited on Nick's show to talk about a few different things. And the first thing was about how radicals and how working class people should view China. So my attitude towards this, in short, is similar to any other country. I think it's important to differentiate the society and the people from the rulers and the ruling class of that country. So when we talk about China, uh, it's a massive society. It's really an empire uh, of more than a billion people. Um, a number of different nationalities, a number of different classes, a number of different languages, um, religions, etc. Um, and it's a people that, uh, you know, have, have carried out some heroic struggles against Western imperialism, against... Uh, you know, right-wing domestic capitalism in China, feudalism. Um, so the, the people of China are a great inspiration, I think, to all working-class people around the world. Um, we all have a responsibility, I think, to learn more about China. I often feel a bit embarrassed about how ignorant I am of such an important society in this world. Um, but So I do think it's important for us to study it. The society and to study the struggles of the working-class people there in particular but my attitude towards the ruling class of China is uh, that it is not a friend of working class people either in China or around the world. 
it's a state capitalist regime, which means that it functions a little bit different than the corporate capitalism that's the dominant mode in the in the Western capitalist countries. So I believe there is a ruling class that that ruling class uh, is able to make the decisions uh, over and above the lives of, of hundreds of millions of working class people and peasants in China. Um, and unlike in the West, it is mainly concentrated in a party state bureaucracy, although China also does have now a large number of corporate um, multimillionaires and billionaires, uh, some of whom are also members of the ruling party in China. Um, but the China, uh, the regime in China looks out for itself, number one, and expanding the power and influence of its uh, ruling class. And it does this in conjunction with the international ruling class, including the U.S. corporate uh, interests that I think we're all familiar with, including, you know, um, the big tech companies, uh, the big um, uh, retail companies, um, manufacturing companies. All this is done um, hand in hand together. So the Chinese ruling class is an enemy, in my view, of Chinese people especially of the working class people and poor in China. And it's also an enemy of regular working class people around the world. Uh, and we should not view the regime in China as a friend or an ally to the struggles of regular people around the world. And we should give our support and our solidarity to those who uh, are facing repression and exploitation organized by the uh, Communist Party ruling class in China. So that's my attitude in a, in a nutshell. Um, I think that it's also really important to understand that the United States ruling class and the ruling class that's based in the United States, the rich and powerful in the United States, and the, the state, the U.S. state, especially its military, still plays an um, overwhelming role around the world. And even though its power has been receding, uh, in a more multipolar organization of capitalism, uh, the U.S. ruling class and the U.S. military, the U.S. state, U.S. repressive apparatus is still, you know, the preeminent part of the international ruling class. So uh, the things that I say about the Chinese ruling class do not in any way mean that we need to be, um, that the U.S. ruling class is somehow preferable or better. Um, U.S. ruling class is our main enemy for those of us that, that live in the U.S. or under uh, a U.S.-backed uh, regime. Um, but I think it's important to note that not everybody has that situation. In fact, the billion people that live under China, a uh, communist dictatorship, uh, face that ruling class as its main enemy. So I think it's important for radicals and for working class people everywhere to know that our solidarity should be with the people that are oppressed under these different societies and not under, not with the regimes that may or may not lock horns at times with other uh, ruling classes around the world. I'm Laura Lomax. I'm Nick Schillingford. And that's our show. And we end the show with a moment of silence for the approximately 100 people at this point killed in the deadly tornadoes that ripped across the Midwest and Southern United States. This included uh, workers at an Amazon warehouse, as well as many workers at the Mayfield 
Candle Company. And now we end on a moment of silence. This has been another edition of Socialist News and Views with your host, Nick Schillingford. 